3: This is the Third Coast Pocket Conference, where we push the boundaries of audio storytelling. I'm Isabel Vasquez. Here, you'll find the most inspiring and critical conversations in audio, from the Third Coast Conference and beyond. This season, we're bringing you sessions from the 2018 Third Coast Conference. You'll go behind the scenes with the producers of some of this year's most captivating work. And each week, you can find bonus content in Third Coast's producer news. To sign up, visit thirdcoastfestival.org and click on the newsletter button at the bottom of the page. Being an independent producer and making your own podcast means dealing with slim budgets and strained resources often while juggling freelance or other job responsibilities? How do you choose a compelling podcast concept that's worth devoting your limited time to? And how can you identify partners, find support, grow your audience, all while maintaining a creative sense of joy about the show? Julie Shapiro, one of Third Coast's co-founders and now executive producer at Radiotopia, fields questions like these nearly every day. At the 2018 Third Coast Conference, Julie hosted two panels with independent podcasters who've gone at it alone to address the challenges and successes they've had along the way of building their own shows. Here's the second day of podcasting without a network, featuring panelists Phoebe Unter of Bitchface, Tamar Avishai of The Lonely Palette, and James Kim of The Competition.
2: So let us start by meeting our panelists. We're gonna start with James Kim, who does a show called The Competition. Hey. Um, which is about?
1: Yeah, so uh, each season uh, we do a different real life obscure competition, and our second season we did a Mr. Los Angeles leather competition. It's like uh, Miss America, but with leather daddies. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Okay, and yeah. I, I forgot to say, just to give a sense, of where are you based? Uh, Los
1: Angeles. Okay.
2: okay, so now we're going to hear, uh, you're going to hear a little bit of audio. I don't think you can come to any session at Thurkos and not hear something, I'm a firm believer in that. So we're going to hear a little bit from all the shows to give you a sense of, of what they're up to.
1: What is Fetish. Exploring your sexuality and the things that you can do between two people or more.
4: Brotherhood, it means sexiness, it means community, it means have fun. (laughs) Dirty,
5: seedy, nasty, cum-filled bars. And even though I do not have a penis, I still wanted to be part of this.
1: This season on The Competition, we're strapping up to cover Mr. Los Angeles Leather 2018.
6: You can prepare all you want, but once you're on stage and you have everybody looking at you and you have a mic in front of you, it's completely different. <laughs> for a while, I, I just said, oh, it, it's going to be Dwayne. Dwayne's going to win. And he has body for days. But because I've seen so much of all of the
1: other contestants, every one of us has something that nobody else has. Six episodes, 11 contestants, but only one
6: will win. This year actually is full of a lot of first. Anybody that wins is going to be making history. All joking aside, there is a bit of that, you know, Joy Look Club hopes and dreams thing. Like, oh my God, all our hopes and dreams are new. I want it really, really bad.
1: I want to make a difference and I think it's time.
6: And your new Mr. Los Angeles Leather 2018 is...
1: Who will dominate the competition? Find out on Sunday, September 2nd on Apple Podcast.
2: Okay, so now you have a sense for the aesthetic of the show. Um, What was your first season about?
1: Yeah, our first season was, uh, we covered uh, the international piano competition that takes place in Texas, the Van Cliburn International Piano Competition. So we were a bit worried, because we had some people who were listening on the first season, (laughs) how they would react to this one, so.
2: Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the mechanics. How often do you publish the show?
1: Yeah, so um, this season we're doing uh, once every week uh, for six weeks, our last episode's coming out tomorrow. Um, And then the duration, it's between 15 minutes to 20, but our last episode's like an hour long. and then last season was just totally infrequent. It was just like every two weeks, every three weeks, and then sometimes it was like every other day once we actually got to the competition, uh, that was a hot mess, so
2: yeah. <laughs> and how long between seasons?
1: Uh, about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, who, what's your team look like?
1: Yeah, so um, one, this, this season we're doing a co-host, so it's actually Alyssa Dudley who's sitting right over there. Yeah. And, um, uh, sorry, What's the question again? How, like how many people work on this? Who, who oh, makes yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. So it's Alyssa and then uh, we have a producer uh, in LA, Cameron Kell as well. So the three of you? Yeah, it's just three.
2: And what's your budget?
1: Uh, this season it's zero. Um, yeah, so we just had to be really crafty with everything. We just asked friends to help out with the scoring. We scored ourselves. Um, we all had our own editing equipment, recording equipment, so that was kind of nice. And then the artwork was actually done by my partner, so that was kind of nice too. Um, But last season, we actually did have a budget. We were sponsored by APM, um, because it required us to travel to Texas to cover this competition. And um, so we got about $7,000, but I still lost $1,000 in the making of it, because we had to stay there for about three weeks, um, and it it was just kind of a nightmare.
2: But basically, self-funded, you you basically pay for it, it or beg, borrow, steal yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much self-funded.
2: No shame. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people in the room can relate to a zero dollar budget. I mean, um, um, and just my last question before we move on, how do you find listeners and how do they find you? Uh,
1: listeners, you know, you know, um, people
2: that listen yeah, to your podcast.
1: Yeah, we, you know, I guess that this might be a bad thing to admit, but we've never really had a strategy for listeners. We just had it, a strategy to just get it out on platforms mm. and, we're just like, okay, maybe if we get featured on Apple, somebody will listen. And so we've been lucky that um, there's been various platforms that have featured us in New and Noteworthy or Editor's Choice on Spotify. Um, but ultimately, um, it's really just been um, platforms and apps just featuring us, and that's how we've been um, featured, and yeah. Okay.
2: We'll come back to that a lot. Okay, but now we're gonna move on to the next panelist, Phoebe Unter. Has a show called Bitch Face. Do you want to set up the audio clip?
7: Yeah. Um, Bitch Face is made by myself and Nicole Kelly. Um, and it's every episode is different. Each one, the, like the form kind of takes, depends on the content. We've done like experiential things. Um, this clip is from something we have not released. It's a fictional thing we're working on. Um, and it's like an unmastered, unmixed. It's like part of the interludes of this. Our friend um, Kamala Pulagandla wrote a short story called The Femme Phone, and it's about like this world where this group of queer friends have a phone that has this feminist operating system. And so like the phone provide you know, interacts with their lives in all these ways. Um, it takes place in Oakland. And um, yeah, this is like an interlude where like the phone and I'm, I'm a character in it. And it's me and the phone. Okay. Uh, okay. Um. Send vibes to that androgynous art hoe who ate me out in the bagel shop bathroom. Okay, sending.
5: You also have one unread message from Sophie. Oh, let's hear it. A white dude
7: just tweeted at me, we are all allies. Ugh, ew. Send that one Nini Leakes gif, you know, where she's like holding the phone and she's eye-rolling hard. White women
5: are not approved to use that gif.
7: Try using the one of... Hillary Clinton? Ugh. No, no thanks. Anyway, it's, it's like appreciation, not appropriation.
5: Cultural appropriation is a noun meaning use of an existing culture System to-
7: override? I just, forget it. C- can I just hear my affirmations again? My body is bangin'. My body is bangin'. My mind is unparalleled. My mind is unparalleled. No one can fuck with me. No one can fuck with me. My soul is tranquil. My soul is tranquil. My body is banging. My mind is unparalleled. No one can fuck with me. My soul is tranquil. My body is banging. My mind is unparalleled. No one can fuck with me. My soul is tranquil.
2: All together now. Right. Um, <laughs> So, tell us more. How many episodes have you made and what is your publishing schedule?
7: Um, so, we've made around 12 episodes in the past two and a half years. So, like, we come out very infrequently. We did do a series last fall where we had, like, three and then four episodes um, that came out, like, pretty frequently. But generally, it's, like, there are many months between when we release things In this year... We've kind of like taken all these other opportunities. We did like an art residency. We've made we've been making some sound installations and like doing a lot of events. And so we've only had one episode come out this year. So it's kind of like when we can, when we want to, when we have like and also the content is always different. So it's kind of like what are, whatever it is we're working on um, sometimes takes a long time to like work through.
2: And what, what would you say is your budget per year, I guess, annual budget?
7: um it's all Mm self-funded so like I bought a kit at one point um we spent a lot of time but we
2: don't really like we don't have a budget time time is money in podcasting yeah a lot of people just put you know that is partly I think when you think about a budget you should actually create a time budget so you know if we
7: did that it would be depressing so (laughs) we don't but we have done a couple of like paid things this year we did like a Performance at KCRW, shout out, Independent Producer Project. Um, And then we did like a sound, like art, the art
2: world has been giving us some money, so. Cool. And then in general, how do listeners find you and how do you find your listeners?
7: Um, Originally, it was like, I don't know. um, We were featured on The Heart last fall. And so that got us like a big bump in listeners. Um, We got, people actually started calling our hotline which we love to, like, talk to our listeners um, through our hotline. We get a lot of interesting messages. Um, And so, yeah, like, and then locally, where I'm also, uh, where Nicole and I both live in Los Angeles, so we do stuff around there, and
2: people kind of find us Mm -hmm. through that world. Cool. Okay, now we're going to move on to The Lonely Palette. This is Tamar. Uh, Do you want to set up the audio before, or tell us a little bit about the show and then set up the audio clip?
8: Uh, Yeah, so the show is um, taking basically the two things that everybody associates with art history, that it's snooty and that it's boring, and turning that into kind of taking, taking narrative storytelling and just kind of saying that it can actually be much more interesting than that, and I'm an art historian by trade who wanted to get into radio producing, and so, the show started out kind of as an experiment that way. Um, And this particular clip, uh, Mark Rothko tends to be an artist who people particularly are polarized by. Either they find him to be the most moving, you know, spiritually transcendent experience they've ever had or they hate him or they think that, you know, they want that kind of experience. And so I had a, a really great experience in the gallery interviewing Um, interviewing somebody about their own experience standing in front of that Rothko and I try to get as many people standing in front of the object as possible and kind of recording not experts just people who are totally skeptical and seeing what they pull out of it so. And this profound spiritual use of color makes it very difficult to describe a Rothko painting without getting into poetic or associative terms. There's not that much to just describe we can look at number one from 1961 and put it plainly, it's rectangles of greenish-black and purple and red. But it's not just that. People say the most beautiful things about Rothko. It's what came before God separated light and dark in the opening lines of Genesis. It's being a kid and gently pushing your fingers against your closed eyelids to watch the colors swirl and churn, not knowing what's gonna come next. It's the luminescent light behind the horizon before the sun rises. It's the depth of black when your eye adjusts to darkness.
5: Like the first, my first experience of it was like, this is just black. And what is that? Like, why should I care? It's just black. But now that I'm looking at it, I see how much um, detail there is inside of it. Like, it feels very grounded. And it makes me feel, and this is gonna sound really stupid, but it sort of makes me feel a little bit understood.
8: <laughs> how, I mean, do you think you could articulate why?
5: Um, like, without talking about depression, it's hard but there's a way in which, like, there is a flatness that it's easy to project out to the world, but there's so much going on under the surface, Mm -hmm. and there's something really comforting about being able to walk closer and see something get richer than it seemed. Yeah. I'm surprised. Like, I did not expect to have... That reaction, I was feeling pretty like skeptical, as I, you know, because I know Rothko is supposed to be great, you know, <laughs> but like somehow there was something about
2: this painting that made me feel calm. Thanks. I love when your interviewee does a voice. <laughs> I think it's like <laughs> a moment of true authentic tape that you cannot predict or ask for, and when it happens, it's much. Um, So, first of all, you're making a podcast about paintings, So, like, the Mm -hmm. challenge of representing the visual, uh, or you ask your subjects to do that with you and for you. So, kudos for being brave enough to take that on. Um, What is your, how do you make the show? How often does it come out? And how do you generally approach production?
8: So, when I started it, I had, you know, I was all gung-ho, and I thought I would be able to put out an episode every other week. Um, and that fell to the wayside pretty quickly. I, I was able to get about six episodes out that I'd already made, and so that was easy. And then I realized how much it was taking out of me, and so now I try to... I have about 33 episodes out now, and, um, and I try to get every three weeks to a month, um, depending on how busy I am in my full-time job, <laughs> which, you know, if, if I spend too much time on the podcast, I tend to not do as well at the job that's... Paying me, and so you know, kind of trying to find that balance. Um, so once a month, I try. And it's just you, or do you have just me? Just me. Okay. Um, and what would you say is your budget for making the show? Um, I when I think about the money that I've actually spent making the show, and literally, it's it's the website, it's you know, hosting, I and a lot of swag. Like I, I invested in a lot of swag so that I could launch a pretty robust Patreon. Um, right out of the gate. And I've probably spent about 4,000 of my own money just setting it up. But with Patreon, I get uh, pretty decent revenue. Should I say it?
2: Oh, yeah, if you're comfortable.
8: Yeah, it's about $900 an episode now.
2: Cool. Um, yeah, it's funny, of course, numbers and money are hard to talk about in front of people, but um, <laughs> you know, hopefully we can be amongst friends and, and talk about that. I think it's helpful depending on your situations out there and what your numbers look like as well. Um, and then generally, how do you promote the show and so how do people find you and how do you
8: find them? You know, it's funny, as I was listening, like, I don't even know at this point. I I tweeted at a whole lot of people at the beginning. I had a lot of friends that I just forced it in front of and I, I went to different radio uh, communities in Boston and just kind of plastered my business card everywhere and slowly but surely you know you get one press mention you get another press mention and now i i just keep pushing i feel like at the people who you know at at a lot of social media i put a lot of energy into social media and trying to get that out there and and keep trying to you know ping ping people who would write it up potentially and then, actually, and I just won an award, which was nice, and that helped a lot. And not only that, it it legitimized, I, I won the Improper Bostonian Best of Boston. And it's amazing how many people now are coming to me, because now it's, like, legit in a way that it was the day before also, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's been pretty interesting. And I, I've been working with, you know, kind of on the outskirts, I I work at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston just once a month giving talks, which is actually kind of how I got the idea for this show. And they were very, very hard and slow moving to try to give me any attention and the award helped. (laughs) So now they're trying to promote me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's no
2: doubt about it. Making great content helps your show grow because it gets picked up. And if you think about all the newsletters out there, and, you know, being, I mean, I think the thing that I, as my drumbeat, is like you have to be proactive in every way. I would say, like, you know, social media, love it or hate it somewhere in the middle it's just crucial that you're interacting and you're reaching out to your audiences and letting them know you care about them and you're making this for them and getting their opinions on things Um, we do a lot of interactive call outs with radiotopia with ear hustle and the response back is always tremendous and and I, i believe it helps i think podcasts grow because people love them and they tell other people and we have anecdotal proof of that we have actual proof of that watching you know watching metrics um so yeah, I'll just say it now, and I'll say it a few more times. You have to be proactive in all of this. Um, if you want people to hear the work that you're you're putting all your time and energy and, and love and heart into. Let's, I'm gonna ask another question to everybody. In a sentence, no pressure, James, why do you do the competition?
1: I'll just say the uh,
2: creative freedom. Creative freedom, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Phoebe?
7: Um, we have like a political agenda to help or like ourselves and
8: listeners envision different worlds. Tamar, I love it. (laughs) Um, I finally can write about art history the way I always wanted to when I was in grad school and beyond, and it's such a pleasure. Yeah.
2: I think so much about success has to do with what your ambitions are, and so much of your ambitions need to come from your reality of your situation. So thinking about these shows represented here and the shows uh, represented by... Amongst us. Um, let's also look at some larger numbers to get some context for this. Because you know, I think I just read um, I hope you all read Hot Pod Nick Qua's newsletter, because he, you know, he's he's got his finger on the pulse of a lot of the business side of things. So we're gonna talk a lot about content and process today, but of course the whole business of podcasting is is like where the rubber meets the road, whatever that means. And Nick is always constantly, you know, finding out the numbers about the industry. And I think I read that Dr. Death, this podcast from Wondery, had eight million hits in a month, I think. If I, um, math isn't my strong point, but that's pretty much. But so think about that, 8 million in a month. Um, do you all mind sharing your numbers? What do they look like? I just look at our, num- our analytics on
7: SoundCloud, and we have like 7,000, 8,000 per episode. That's great.
1: Uh, for us, it's about 3,000 within one week per episode. Per
8: episode. Yeah, about eight to 9,000 per episode once it kind of gets going yeah cool okay. well, let's 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 zoom out a little bit. So these
2: are very general industry numbers. Uh, according to Apple, there's five hundred and fifty thousand podcasts out there uh, as of June this year, so it's probably double by now. Um, about ten thousand of those shows, less than two percent of all podcasts make up the majority of downloads. Um, I don't have exactly what you know that means, but the point is very, you know, there's a small number of shows that are, Occupy the top the rankings and are at the top, and you know most of the other shows are uh, everywhere from smaller than ours to bigger than ours but smaller than the big ones. And you know one percent of podcasts on Libsyn, um, approximately five thousand of them have even more than 50k downloads an episode after a month. So just for context, I don't know where your shows fit in this mix, but um, just to say, you know every you should not be judging yourself based on these numbers or these numbers you you are making a show unto yourself and you are trying to make it, it succeed at what it's trying to do um, now if you're trying to make a living out of podcasting you need revenue of course but my you know my general advice to people is like to not try to make a living at it at first it takes a lot of time to build to the point where you can depend on revenue and this is true even in radiotopia um some of our producers make their shows part full time but lots of them do lots of other things on the side too so all right, the next thing we're going to talk about is process. I asked every pa- each panelist to send a picture that illustrates something about their process for their show. And in doing this, we will get to sort of how we've approached some challenges and how we deal with them in making, making the shows. So we're going to start with James. You to walk uh, us through this?
1: Yeah, so this is a tea chat. This is our main way of communicating, and um, we always get sidetracked. I always tell them, like, okay, this is our deadline. We got to do something. And then Alyssa's usually really good about it. And she's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm going to get it tonight. And then Cameron is the dude who just, like, (laughs) sidetracks everybody. But, yeah, and uh, it's really just kind of like our process is a mess. uh, But somehow we get everything done.
2: And creative freedom. And creative freedom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We're going to move on to Phoebe's process. This podcast
7: is our life. We're in love with each other. We're not. We're not like in a romantic relationship, but we're in love with each other. We're in love with the show. It's like it. It takes us a lot of places. This was at um, an art residency we did uh, called "This Will Take Time" in Mendocino County, California. And I also brought that up just because, like, one of my advice things is like look outside of like this world for like opportunities to, to do things, people that will give you money or let you stay in, like, a cool house that has an outdoor bathtub that's surrounded by an herb garden. Um, and we actually made a movie on that residency, a horror film that Nicole wrote, um, a commune, a, a lesbian separatist commune horror. <laughs> as, as you So do. we're making it there. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Podcasts are life. <laughs> um, okay,
8: next to Tamar. Um... So this is my cube at work. Um, and I just, I, I feel like this is, this couldn't be more. I mean, you know, I, I work in corporate finance and you can tell from the, you know, just how cubical it is, you know, that there are, there are org charts and there are calendar. you know. I mean, and it's just like, I have this collection of uh, art history finger puppets That I just try to, you know, little by little, I've just completely moved in my personality into my cube. And people, you know, they deal with it. And this is, you know, somebody once sent this meme around. And I just thought it was like, this is exactly my problem, is that I don't carve out enough time to work on my art. You know, to really get my passion project, you know, little by little. If I want to get out of that cube, I need Batman's help, is basically (laughs) what I'm saying, you know, every day. And and the thing is, like, this is right in front of everything. You know, people walk by and they see that. And sometimes it sparks a conversation. And sometimes it's, you know, kind of tomorrow being tomorrow. But this really does help me (laughs) to not spend my life in that cubicle, you know. And I do a lot of procrastinating, like I think everybody does. And it's really hard. And so it's just nice to have that tough love coming at me.
2: So a lot of people talk about the time, the balancing job and podcast or podcast and podcast or podcast and sleep or podcast and health. Um, And I feel like the one thing that we all know in the room is that it's just a lot of work to make a podcast. It doesn't come easily. Um, Yesterday on the panel, one one of our wonderful panelists said, Um, You know, I just don't like promoting myself. It's not who I am. And I I was like, I just firmly believe that you have to get over that and you have to get out there and spread the word about your show. There's that word of mouth, that spreading, that sharing. You make the great content and you want people to hear it. And so, um, you know, based on that, I would say paying attention and embracing social media as much as possible. You know, when do you find the time for? Well, you can schedule things ahead. I used to be really against that because I felt like it should be very spontaneous in the moment. And then I realized like, you just have to do what's gonna work in a way and give you more clarity and time to work on your show. So if you could package all that into a one hour on Mondays and get that out of the way and then you proceed to be creative and think about you know, the painting you're gonna to go to next and stuff. Um, how much do you all rely on social? On a scale of one yeah, to 10? No. Uh, none at all, we're really yeah. bad with social. You try. gotta get better at social. Yeah.
7: We actually, we started all of our social media when we were, like, going to be featured on The the Heart, and they told us, like, a few days before, and Phoebe from The Heart was, like, in, also Phoebe, was in town for Work It and was, like, just make, like, just make the accounts, like, while we were, like, at a bar, because I was, we had previously been, like, we are, I already am, like, you know, have other social media accounts and stuff. I was, like, I don't know. It seems like work. We were, like, trying to not have it be work, and then... But they've been great. I mean, we've had them for like a year because that was like around when we started it. And it actually has become, Twitter has become a place I love to express myself. I'm already on the computer all day at work. So it's right there.
2: I mean, it seems really basic and obvious, but I can't, I think there are ways to bring your creative process into all of this as well. So, um, you know, how does the extension of your show, how do you extend the voice of your show into these communications? Um, How can you crowdsource content for your shows? You know, maybe... Maybe every five episodes you do something that, that is an, an, a listener idea. Um, there's ways to you know, work lighter production schedules that you can uh, help organize through social media into your into the way you make your show. Um, so maybe it's highly produced four out of five episodes and that fifth one is a call-in or an interview or something that takes a step back and has a slightly different approach. What yeah, do you do for social?
8: I, I would say that I spend at least 51% of all of my time on on the social media hustle. It's funny because I actually, I, I was looking for things when I was trying to kind of think, could I hire somebody? Like, could I actually get a team and take something off my plate? And my husband kept saying, well, you know, what about the social media? You know, hire yeah. a young, you know, millennial to, who can, you know, take over that for you. And I can't, like, that is my voice. And I feel like social media as, my social media voice as an extension, as an extension of the show is invaluable like that's not something that i could ever give up do you
2: circulate the artwork on social so people Mm -hmm. can listen and then really like have it right there
8: yeah and like every every social media platform has its own voice so it's like you know twitter is kind of awful but you use it you know to reach who you need to reach and you know you can be a little bit more um i don't know salty And Instagram is like this loving embrace of a community, Mm -hmm. and especially with visuals. So there are so many Instagram accounts where some, you know, some Yahoo posts just a painting and a little description of them, and they've got hundreds of thousands of followers. Like, people really want that. And as soon as I started posting the paintings and and paintings that would be kind of, um, you know, just kind of augment the episode, those are the ones that really go nuts because people just love learning about that one painting and then they'll
3: click on that and learn something and then listen to the show. Hey there, we're going to take a quick break but we'll be back with the rest of this session in just a moment.
8: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
5: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt.
3: And we're back with the rest of Podcasting Without a Network. Um, Okay, well, the next part
2: of the session is where you all ask the audience for their advice on some things. So um, let's start with you, Phoebe, at the end. Well, one
7: thing that has been really helpful for us has been, like, partnerships with other people, as I said the heart, but, like, smaller things. We meet people, we go on their show, and, like... As I've been talking to these other people who create content where we're interested in, oh, that's also one of my rules is to never use the word content. I just did. But um <laughs> kind of like how can we build our own models for the type of content that like we want to see? Like we've had people that are interested in Bitch Face, they're interested in kind of like our spirit and our anger or something, but then like when it comes down to it, they like don't actually wanna host it on their platform um, for maybe obvious reasons to you, but, um, and so what I'm asking is kind of like, how can we maybe build these sort of models um, for the type of content that doesn't always seem to fit other places, and then, or like, does someone have some sort of like, more DIY sharing thing, network, um, that we could like, talk about? Not that it is something that I do,
9: but I think that, so what networks can be interested in
10: is having someone who brings their own. It's like there are restaurants that want you to bring your own sandwich. And so if Wait,
7: you sorry, own, what kind of restaurant?
10: They want you to bring your own sandwich. And so if you can have an audience that you have identified, connected with online, on the platforms, and uh, you, know, you can go on all those bulletin boards, and, boards and, and engage with the community that you belong to and really kind of try to build uh, your audience so that you could show how you have an audience, and a potential audience, and even if they're not listening, but there's, so you wanna find your people, and then not come alone in that restaurant where you have to bring your own sandwich, come with your large crowd, and one of you probably needs some event, so <laughs> <laughs> Build a sandwich together. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have no restaurant analogies to offer here, but um, I think one of the ways that we, as independent
9: podcasters, can help that effort is to build our own organic network by cross um, cross promoting for sure, but also just being on other shows. So my show, for example, I'm not here just to promote it, but if I talk to people following their passion. So I'd love to have you on my following show. Following what, Sorry. Following their passion. Okay. So I'd love to have you on my show and talk about what you do. And I I talk with people who all kinds of different things so that's sort of my challenge if I were up there I'd be saying how do I promote my show because I don't have it down like a Mm -hmm. target so that's one of the things another place I'm starting to use is a place called showrunner and it's a community of podcasters a place to go and cross, like basically cross-promote and cross-learn. So it might be a place for anyone who's an independent podcaster might wanna check it out because it's not really associating with a network, which I think would be great if that's works for you. But this is, again, a way to organically build that, um, that model.
7: Cool, and what's your show called?
2: I was trying to not promote it. No, no, This, this is like this and is a teachable moment. If you're have a microphone and <laughs> you're talking about a podcast, sure. podcast
9: you sure. Thank you for asking. It's called Glistening Particles. And uh, I've been out for two years and it's talking about people who follow their passion. And I would love to have anyone who has a passion, you know, reach out to me. would love to have you on the show. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. I think we have
2: time for one more piece of advice for Phoebe and then we're gonna move on. Hey.
10: So my name is Laura or Laura as you wish to call me. And so I was wondering how how much interest you have in this question. Because so I'm an independent podcaster in Colombia and I just got hired by
4: Volante an NPR podcast in Spanish. Right. Because
10: <laughs> because um, I was podcasting independently and then I realized I need a model. I need a model. My content is, is not as polemic, let's say, but at the same time, I want to make this sustainable. So what I did was just reading business books. It's just, okay. what are the top three business books that people read when they want to generate business models? And actually, there is one that is called How to Generate Business Models. And it has pictures and canvases and so on. And when you really have an interest, that's start. The problem is, as a podcaster, you don't don't really want to think about it. So what I was wondering is, from 1 to 10, how serious are are you with this? Because if so, if you are 10, 9, 8, it's just go to the business section of the bookstore. I know it's not our favorite section, but it is really valuable. And for Radio Ambulante, I actually got picked because I was someone that had this sensitivity about content, about good podcasts, but at the same time, I was one of the people willing to really read the business book and think intensively about this other part of, of the ecosystem. If you ask me for my independent <laughs> podcast, it is not sustainable yet, but at least kind of just trying. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I think that tension between running the business and and creating art is oh, it's you. always there. And uh, you know what we've seen is that you just have to you have to do both. You can like one doesn't really work without the other. Um, all right. Thank you all. James, what is your question for the audience?
1: Yeah, mine is actually more of a comment, and maybe I'll tack on a question after the fact. But um, it really is this thing where I've been making this podcast for about a year and a half, and. What I realized is that there is um, such a high barrier of entry in podcasting. And I know that I'm pretty privileged. Like I work at a public radio station. Uh, I have money to buy equipment. Um, I have a lot of resources. You know, there's a lot of things that I have. And, um, and you know, it, it makes me question like people not in my position, it's even harder for them to gain any traction. Like 3,000 downloads a week is not a lot. And um, just to give like an anecdote, like. Uh, recently, I'll even call the company out, but one, reached out to us and they wanted to pick up our show, immediately when I said the download number, the conversation stopped. And so- happened to us too. Yeah, see, it's a common thing and I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about it, but if anybody wants to come up and share their story about, like, just, you know, the high level of, uh, of entry in podcasting, um, yeah, and, you know, if you have solutions to it, then- <laughs> All great. the better. But if not, if you want
6: that's great too. Uh, I do not have a solution. Um, but I will say, I, I guess I kind of have a more exciting line. So, I'm the host of the Time on Spent Podcast, probably you should subscribe to that. And uh, it only gets, I only have 300 downloads an episode. So, I'm like in the baby phases right now. And if you guys said thousands, like 6,000, 5,000, I'm like, oh my God, that's so many listeners. <laughs> uh, but I think the benefit I also have is that I work a full-time job. Um, and I think the realization I had that actually helped me is that this is a long road. Julie, you kind of echoed that when you said that, when you said, like, this is going to happen overnight. So, I think as long as everybody gets the idea out of their head that your podcast is going to be serial or Dr. Death, like, that might not happen. It might take a while, you know. Uh, The number one podcast in the world when we first started was WTF with Mark Marin, but that was when podcasts were very fresh, you know, like, it was a new thing. It's like, oh, what is this? He's interviewing comedians. So, I think as long as we we keep in mind that the world is long and, like, there's always more listeners that we can get. And I think if we keep that mindset, and we are the ones that are going to be successful in the future. Because a lot of people are going to give up between now and as we keep learning more listeners. So that's how I make myself feel better so Thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, also, you know, community is so important. And you all are here in the room, you're already in a community. And I would just, you know, really. Um, recommend that you look locally for your radio groups, your podcasting groups. Um, you know, There's a, a very strong Boston showing uh, in the room mm. at the conference and Tamar may talk a little bit about that, but the way I've seen the Boston podcasting community come together to support each other has just been amazing. So I feel like there's a version of that that can happen in every City, town, but it doesn't just happen, right? You have to actually go invite people to get involved. Maybe you start something, um, which is a little segue into
8: to Mars' question or challenge
2: or um, even.
8: Yeah, I was actually okay. I've got to recalibrate in my head because I was gonna. You can do. I good. don't want to like blow my load too fast. Um, <laughs> <No>. But <laughs> I, I, is there a not dirty way to say that? <laughs> because I've been. It never comes to my mind. Um, well actually before before I even get to that I I my own my own struggle this entire time has been you know first i have this thing it's on the margins of a job that i am perfectly you know it's fine it's a day job i think any time you describe a job as a day job you're already on your way out <laughs> and i've been there for 9 years and and <laughs> it's given me a really solid foundation you know i have a boss who like likes likes me for who I am and so he's always let me follow my creative passions as long as I'm getting my job done. And that means that, you know, as when I was in the, you know, 100 download an episode phase, it was, it felt like it was just for me and I could balance the two and I felt so excited about it every time I sat down to do it. And now that it's actually gotten bigger, it's become another full-time job. And I find that those switching costs between the two are killing me. And I, I don't know where to find that balance because I feel like it, it makes it feel like, so first of all, I guess the first question is how do you handle the switching costs? And I I don't want to hear about like, like, you know, well there's software that can, you know, send you an email to remind you to do it. It's like, I, I get it done, but it's really, really stressful and it's exhausting. And I, I'm worried that even if I get successful enough to be able to quit my full-time job, what if turning the hobby into my job isn't fun anymore? You know,
2: what if I... What if podcasting becomes your day job? Yeah,
8: exactly, exactly. You know, this, yeah. this maintaining creative joy. I mean, will I still be able to hang on to that if I were to pursue it full-time?
4: Uh. So the best piece of advice that goes for everybody is to keep going because like my show I, I was in that spot with ten listeners for a long time and then I was in the spot that all of you guys were in. And it's hard. And I think the answer to your question is it is really hard and validating. Wait, that. what's your podcast? Yeah, oh, so yeah, so oh sleep with me is my podcast.
2: it's Drew. Sleep with me.
4: So I You're the lead. With listeners, and I think to the switching cost thing I really hit home but the keeping going thing, like if you're doing something from a place of value, which it seems like all of you are, curiosity, it's really important to keep going and, and to see this out and see what happens. Uh, but to be specific it's like setting times to either, to, to students that are giving up. Like instead of wondering every day, and having that struggle okay, set up an appointment with yourself or with your team and say, okay, like uh, after episode 46, We'll decide if we're going to keep going or not but between episode 40 and 46 we're just going to keep making the show and keep doing it and then you'll find out like it doesn't take the joy out of it switching it uh, doesn't make it any easier like transitioning to doing it as a job um, but when you take breaks you'll notice i really miss making it. like even here like, oh i miss making the show uh but yeah keep going you get your you're worth it and your ideas are
0: Thank you. Thank you.
10: So I just experienced that, I had a full time job, but I had been podcasting for five or six years, I had already made a, a show that was a total, total failure, and now my second one is taking place, and now I finally can do podcasting, like, for a decent amount of money during my day. I know it's for not going to the on podcast, but still, it's like, ooh, podcasting finally for a living. And in my experience, the key or the reason why you are not going to get bored is ambition. You just only start to think bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's something you can only explore if you devote yourself to it. And I know my particular experience cannot be replicated for anyone, but I have to think that ambition is just going to become a big part of your career. And then the things you're going to go for are just unbelievable now, but are going to be something fantastic in the future. That's what I think. Thanks.
2: Okay. Um, I think part of when it gets so hard, what can help you through that is knowing, I'm going to say this again, the community's there. Your listeners are out there supporting you. So, um, Tamar, can you talk a little bit about the Hubbins yes. book? <laughs>
8: um, so the Boston audio community, because it's not just radio. I mean, it's it's there. there's a really robust indie podcasting scene in Boston. And um, I put out, we have this Sonic Soiree listserv. We get together once a month for potluck's. Um, but we have this listserv, and I was added onto it. I felt like a total imposter that I couldn't put anything. you know I couldn't say anything on it because there were like real radio producers on it. And um, when I first launched my show, I you know, held my nose and, and I just sent it out. And later that day, I got an email from this guy, Wade, who said, "You know, I really like what you're doing here. This sounds like a great idea." And, you know, I'm excited to listen to it. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. All right, well, you know, somebody's listening. And he launched his own show, and we had some conversations about that. And a year later, he said, let's, let's get together, you know? Like, why are we just going to be, you know, these, like, independent, you know, <laughs> atoms, like, bouncing off, the, you know? Like, we can actually, we're lonely, and we're working really hard, and we're exhausted, and we could use some support and so we got together over beers and we said, you know, why not start a collective? It's not a network, you know, there's no money involved, but but let's get a collective together and let's see if there are some other podcasts out there who want to join us. And there were, and we ended up how many do we have now? 6. Yeah, we have 6 shows in our collective. It's called Hub and Spoke and It just feels like limitless potential right now because we support each other. We advertise, you know, we plug each other's shows at the end of every episode. We invested in one thing, which was branding and just getting a website and pins, which I will hand out to anybody who wants one after. Um, And it's been really exciting seeing, you know, at first we were like begging other shows, you know, it's like, oh, it's cool. Like, no, there's no money. No, it's not a network, but like join us. And, uh, and Ministry of Ideas came on, and that was really exciting and, and got us in one direction. And iconography just, you know, it's, it's like we're we are presenting ourselves not as a network, but as a collective together, you know. And in indie podcasting, cred matters, you know, even if it's imaginary. Like if it seems like you're attached to something, then people will take you a little bit more seriously. And we've found that to be the case. And it's actually turning with this, like, imaginary thing, you know, well, if we say Hub and Spoke, it will exist. And then it existed because we said it and we made it. And so we're just trying to see where that can go. Like, maybe we can turn it into a network, and that would be incredible.
2: And you just had your first birthday this weekend, right? Two days ago, Hub and Spoke
8: Um, turned one.
2: So I would recommend... I'm going to go out on a limb and volunteer to Mar and Wade and gang to help anybody interested in trying to do something like that. Maybe navigate some of the things you learned in setting hub and spoke up. I feel like this is like the future of a lot of podcasting can be uh, people gathering together to do that. Um, I, we're going to, we have about 15 minutes left and I want to get to your questions. So we promised hot tips. Um, These guys came up with great hot tips. I'm going to just do kind of a summary slide things I've said throughout, but when I think about podcast health, Um, I think about, and a lot of this is on you, I hate to say it, but engaging, as I said, the social channels, um, newsletters, both do you have a newsletter? Can you get into other newsletters? There's a lot of talk now about podcasting, which makes me so happy that people are thinking critically and writing and reviewing. So you've just got to get in those knock politely, knock often. Um, call outs, call out to your listeners, as I said, engage with them in that way, plan meetups, things that happen in real life are really great ways to build community in micro steps, you know, so if you're traveling to visit a friend, plan a meetup with your listeners in that town, do it locally, um, pace yourself, if you can get ahead, and you're not episode to episode, I feel like you will have a longer, a better chance of keeping your show going. Um, and then build in those lighter production options that maybe break format a little bit for you. Pursue support. There's a lot about you getting out there, uh, whether it's asking your listeners to support you through something like Patreon, finding local sponsors. So we didn't really talk about revenue. That's a whole day's worth of conversation unto itself. But you know, most big sponsors won't really consider a show unless it has in starting around 50,000 downloads and episodes. So if, to, until you get to that point, find someone in your community that has some relevance or connection to the content that you're making and see if they wanna either support you through a partnership or support you through some funding. Um, Look to your local radio stations. You know, the, the stations I'm finding are more and more interested in working with podcasters. Can't speak for them, but I think the more that the podcasters pipe up, the more the stations are gonna pay attention. Um, and look for organizations. Someone after coming yesterday said, I have a great tip that you should share today, which I'm gonna do right now, which is, um, she said, I contacted conferences that had relevant information or, or topics to my podcast and asked them if I could be a media sponsor. And so I talked about their conference on my show and they put a slide up with my logo on it and mentioned it and I would see a bump at every conference. So depending on what your show's about, that may or may not work. But you know, there's just these kinds of ways to like ha- hack into getting more exposure and finding new listeners. Um, Find your community. I can't say it enough. It's really what the Third Coast was founded on. I still believe it, truly. The cross-promotion helps people listen to your podcast because they hear about them on other shows. So if you can do some bartering with cross-promos, that's a great way. Uh, And and I can tell you through Radiotopia Anecdotal, it's a great boon to the shows when their cross-promotion comes up. Um, Get an advisory board. Ask for honest feedback. Get feedback. Get feedback from your listeners from... People whose opinions you trust and, you know, really turn to those people for moral support. And then you offer it back. And it's a nice exchange of, like, what you know, uh, what you've learned and what they can help you with. And then I, I think I'll go back to one of my first points, which is you really have to know your show. Like, what are you doing it for? And what is your ambition? And what is your reality? And how can you scale your ambition to match what you realistically can achieve and and push yourself a bit beyond your comfort zone but you know also maintaining a sense of reality uh, you know the reality check is really important because we all want to shoot up to number one and I think the rankings create this crazy frenzy around with the numbers is it important to know your metrics yes I highly recommend you have a good sense of how your shows are doing set some goals for yourself even if it's like 50 more subscribers per episode even if you don't make the goals like having some structure to understand for yourself how your show feels it's doing and then if you feel like you're not making your goals turn to turn to people for specific help about those goals but some sort of organization about a growth pattern is really important Um, a to grow big enough that maybe you get some revenue and sponsorships and it becomes your day job but B just to have a sense of satisfaction it's that creative joy of knowing like you're doing something
8: that's having an impact and evolving in some way Um, can I yeah. anecdotally sure um this this community that we've made together it's very easy i think when you're doing some things that you're so connected to to feel competitive and you know kind of well somebody got that and even though it's a different kind of show like i want that and one of our shows um hi-fi nation got listed as one of uh IndieWire's best 50 podcasts of like so far of 2018 I mean there's so many of those lists but I was flipping through it and I was like man I wanted to be on this list and I still got a bump a little bit of a bump and I realized that the episode that they picked as you know best because it was not podcasts podcast episodes that one plugged me And so people listened to that because it was on that list and I got a bump and it just seemed, it's like this all fell into place really beautifully that, you know, and I was so, I was able to be even more proud of him than I already was. Like put away kind of some of my petty jealousy, but also feel like this is why we're doing (laughs) this.
2: Also pay attention to who's writing about podcasts and just email them I mean but the bylines are all there there's usually ways to contact people again you just can't be shy and you can't be obnoxious or presumptuous either but there's a balance there that when you hit I think welcomes people into welcoming your show and listening to it in a way and taking it seriously Um, okay on to hot tips from our presenters (laughs) <laughs> oh, did any of you miss that? Oh, what? You said you wanted to see it again? Okay. Ooh. I got a little excited when I first got used to keynote, and this one, this feels irrelevant. And it's the time of the session where it's like 10 minutes left, you need a little, and then we're, then we're going to get to your questions. So first, Tamar, your hot tip,
4: Good tips.
8: Well, so, um, with all due respect to Vinalize, uh this one, this was where I was actually going to really play up hub and spoke because this to me was, you know, in, in creating my own podcast, it becomes hard to listen to everybody else's podcasts. Also, Um, you know, you just get a little drained and a little fatigued and I actually did stop and listen to the podcasts that were happening around me. And the nice thing about this podcasting boom is it's not necessarily making more jobs, but the opportunities to collaborate are endless. And I would run into new people. I mean, how it happened, you know? Like we we were just at, at the same potluck and it was like, I'm doing a thing, you're doing a thing, you are doing thing you want to be on mine, I'll be on yours, great, you know? And suddenly that's how we really got to know each other and really learn each other's shows and be able to give good feedback and and trust each other's feedback because we knew we were listening with thoughtfulness and intention and we were all wanting each other to succeed. And so, you know, it just felt like collaboration since we had our day jobs, it's like we could stop worrying about the money and really focus on collaborating.
2: Thank you. Phoebe says, um,
7: this is, I mean, uh, being a responsibly non-monogamous, financially independent, um, rapturous, that's important relationship with your podcast. But I also want to add like something, one of my other ones was like, write to your heroes like that's how we got on the heart was like Mm -hmm. we were going to new york and we loved the heart it was like after the no series which if you haven't heard is so good and we reached out thinking like someone that worked on the team would like respond and like caitlin press just wrote back and was like yeah sure come over and so like i'm not like trying to blow up her spot like you know but like find the people like in your you know that like do work like yours especially if you're in like a small what feels like a small world like you know you make the same kind of show as someone they're also you know women or whatever you know like queer women things like that that like it's just like you never know what could happen and that has like really led to a lot of the next things we did um but yeah
2: and james says
1: yeah so um it's mainly like (laughs) just make a podcast that you want to make uh there's been so many times where people have told uh, me and our team that um you know who's your audience make it for them but Ultimately, when you're doing something on the side and you're working starting at eight o'clock at night and then you end at like four o'clock in the morning, you wanna be working on something that you really, really love. Uh, We fell into that trap the first season where we're targeting towards a classical music audience. And so we try to follow the competition in real time because we were afraid that these listeners would know the results and then it it didn't become fun. So we decided to make something different the second time around and really make it for ourselves. And so and I would also want to add on, you know, jump on the whole community thing as well, because it's true with this second season, because it's been so personal for us, um, we were really able to reach out to other podcasters who we really respect and collaborate with them. So upcoming will be featured on Nancy uh, in November, I think. And so, you know, it's like making stuff that we really love ultimately just made everything better for us in the end.
2: Um, I have a PS. I just want to echo what Tamar said. Actually, I think listening is one of the best ways to make your podcast better, and knowing what's out there, and you know, understanding what you love in a podcast, what you don't love, what you want to pour into your show. And I have to make a plug. Just this morning, I woke up and I've been following WBEZ 16 Shots. Are you all? Has anyone listening to that? And so they're covering the the police shooting of Laquan McDonald and the trial of Jason Van Dyke, the police officer who was um, accused of you know shooting him and he He was he murder he was the verdict came back and the way this show handled it was by reading for two and a half minutes the jury's response to him being found guilty of second degree murder on every count Mm -hmm. so um for two and a half minutes is just a recitation of this and it's the very beginning of this episode which you know thousands and thousands and thousands of people are listening to it's a podcast they could do that it was a brave decision and I think it was one of the most arresting, pardon the expression, or the pun. Um, it stopped me in my tracks. I was like literally about to get in the shower and I just stopped and I listened. I knew exactly where it was going at about three. And I just, when she said for the sh- third shot, and it, it's just a very powerful bit of audio. And I'm inspired by that thinking about some ideas that I have even. So the importance of having, absorbing inspiration from wherever you are, whether you're listening more or reading more or watching more or taking more walks, like you have to actually have uh, inspiration coming in all the time to be able to put it out all the time. So hi um,
4: I am just wondering how you all felt about working um, on an independent project by yourself versus working on a team. Right now a been I produce the film network projects by myself, I'll a lot and before that I uh, podcast, podcast national racing sandwich with two co-hosts. So I, don't I don't have think. kind of both experiences and I wonder how is it that you all have kind of
7: Anyone does it alone, but just do it with someone that like that you can communicate with and that you love. Cause like communication is just so important to that. Lightning round. Yeah, go.
8: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally alone. <laughs> I mean, all due respect to Heaven Spoke. Like, I I it's awesome because I don't feel beholden to anybody. You know, like I feel like when my episode's done, it's done. And I really trust that and I I don't kind of answer to anybody else but that also means that I'm my own you know judge, jury, executioner CEO you know who am I going to like <laughs> whip you know me so it's it's um it makes it hard to imagine ever making my show with anybody else if that were to ever be the case um, but you know it's uh it's pretty great too uh, specifically
6: for
1: Farm, um, about um, at the beginning, so you invested from the get-go in merchandise. Yeah. and did that feel foolish at that time, or was like, did you know that you were like, I'm gonna have the download numbers to back
6: this up, and like, I think this will not be a loss for me? Because I, like, I'm currently working with a team where we're like having this exact debate on like, do we yeah. have wait or do we do it from the get-go
4: completely?
8: So I I launched my my patreon uh on the year birthday of my show and i already had a sense that there was an audience out there um i was willing to take the loss i was you know i think i put about 1400 hundred bucks into mugs and and tote bags and you know all the public radio swag and i was ready to say you know even if i have 96 mugs in my basement you know collecting dust I can hand them out to people. I can, you know, get this out there any way I can. You know, stickers and pins, and uh, I also would for Patreon advice something that I see people do, and I think this kind of ties into not necessarily like wanting to put yourself out there. Or, like, why would anybody pay pay for something that's free? Which is, you know, the the ultimate podcasting issue. Um, I made my tiers pretty high. And I see people do it's like, well, if you really love the show, give me two dollars, but if you really, really, give me five. And I my tears right from the get-go were, you know, one, two, five, ten, twenty-five, fifty, hundred per episode to see if anybody would bite. And it's like, if they don't, so what? I just keep the mug. And
2: <laughs>
8: somebody, you know, right off the bat. I mean, granted, it started out being family and friends, but like you know 50 happened pretty soon someone is giving me a hundred and he's a stranger like I, I emailed him and I said are you punking me like you know that you <laughs> hit the hundred button and he said yeah I really want to support your show so you know that let my amount grow pretty quickly um and that's been you know and people see success and they want to be a part of that you know so it's like that's helped itself too so don't sell yourself short on patreon
7: I just have to jump in and say that we just launched our Patreon for Bitchface, and we have like pretty low tiers. Hey, we have zero people. I should like definitely call my mom and have her do it like, today. <laughs> but our prizes are zines that like we produce and print uh, and that our friends make. And I also brought a bunch of like Bitch Face swag. So if you like the show or you're interested, you can come grab some over here.
2: And I was going to say, with Ear Hustle, what we've done is said, like, if you get a t-shirt, take a picture, we want to see it. So if you get your people with swag, swag people love swag, like you get people in the community to tell other people, to show other people. The stuff and I mean that kind of that kind of catches And mm-hmm. um, so after you take the bitch face swag take a picture and publicize it on yep, Twitter Definitely, and we'll, yeah, everyone will share yeah, it. I
8: have pins too <laughs> um,
2: okay well there's a cookie break happening now and I would be remiss to not let you know that it is sponsored by PRX and we have just announced a big project with Google that we're really excited about to work on uh, lowering the barrier for podcast entry globally and bringing more diverse voices into the system so please um, go get some sugar and cookies and hear more about that I want to thank you three. We're awesome panelists. Very brave. Very brave. Download subscribe to their shows and you know keep in touch um, with us, with me, juliaperex.org. I'm always curious what people are up to. I hope you feel a little bit more ready to go out and, and give your shows your
3: all and find people to help you do that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Third Coast Pocket Conference. You can find a full transcript thanks to Descript by visiting our website or by clicking the link in the show notes. If you haven't already signed up for producer news, go to thirdcoastfestival.org and click on the newsletter button at the bottom of the page. We will have weekly updates, resources, and more. You really won't want to miss these. The Third Coast Pocket Conference is produced by me, Isabel Vasquez, and the executive director of Third Coast is Johanna Zorn. Third Coast is also Maya Goldberg-Safer, Emily Kennedy, Gwen Maxi, and Rebecca Silverman. We'll be back next week with another session from the 2018 Third Coast Conference. But in the meantime, you can always check out the extensive library of audio stories on our website, or download our other podcast,
0: Resound. Thanks for listening.